Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. They say we all lose 21 grams at the exact moment of death. It's the weight of a stack of nickels, the weight of a chocolate bar, the weight of a hummingbird. There was a study done in the earliest 20th century that is by no means conclusive, but it does cause me to ask questions. It does cause me to take a step back, and the questions posed is profound. How much does life weigh? 21 grams lost at the precise moment of death. What is it, and where does it go? Is it possible that this is the greater part of you, the human soul? Is is it possible that this is the unseen that tells us that we are more than water and dust formed and assembled by some cosmic mishap? What profit is there if you would gain the entire world and you would forfeit your soul, if you would forfeit the real part of you? Sounds like something Jesus would say. It is something Jesus would say. He said, what can a man, what can a woman give in exchange for their soul? It causes me to think again, what is the soul of man, the soul of woman, worth? I want to welcome you to Crave, a three-week expedition into the human soul. And you should know up front that Crave is a journey for three weeks. You should know up front that that Crave can best be described as space. That it can best be described as space to explore, to reflect, to journey, to ask questions where you may not have the answers or you may not receive easy answers. Crave is more about process than product. In other words, if, if you're here and if you come for the next three weeks, I hope you do, if you're expecting to receive a nice, neat package with a bow on it with all of the answers, you will be disappointed. Sometimes you may come, in fact, and you may leave with more questions than you came with, and that is okay. There will be moments in the series that will be more about shades of color and less about black and white answers being presented to you for you to store away, file away, or later forget completely. And so Crave is best if you dig and if you search and if you listen And if you wait, and hopefully, in the end, you find what your soul craves. Some of you, you you woke up this morning with a ravenous craving for this, the elusive coffee bean. Now, this came from Honduras, and oh, you can still smell it. I don't like the taste of coffee, but I love the smell of coffee. And some of you, you prejudged what your day would look like based upon how many cups of this it would take to get you through the day. Some of you, you woke up this morning, eyes open, you're like, it feels like a 12-cupper. It's going to be a tough one, right? Some of you, you're hoping that this actually will become a food group. Now, some I saw this chart, and I wanted to ask this. How many of you can relate to this reason why I'm currently alive? Nutritious diet, oxygen, adequate sleep, and coffee. Some of you, coffee is it for you, right? Maybe you crave a bean of a different sort. Maybe you crave the cocoa bean. 
Maybe you love chocolate. You are drawn to chocolate like a moth to a flame. You would sell one of your children for a good bar of chocolate. Not all of your children, just that one. You, you, they don't know the one, but you know the one you're thinking of. If, if you've ever worked outside in the month of July, you know the heat and your tongue sticking to the roof of your mouth. And in that moment, you craved water, any kind of water, bottled, tap, hose, toilet, really didn't matter. You just, you craved water. If you've ever been underwater and feeling the, the pressure and the panic of possible suffocation and your adrenaline racing and your lungs burning as, as you frantically swim to the top to break the surface plane of water, at that moment, you crave air. But there are other cravings, cravings that can even be more destructive. Now, before I tell you this next part, I need to tell you one of the hills that we die on here at Reveal is that we leave the masks and that we practice authenticity. And what that means is from time to time, I will tell you things that I'm struggling with, even from the stage and a story that happened about uh, five or six years ago. My wife and I were coming out of a movie theater at Arrowhead and uh, something, it, it hit me. Uh, it, it, it caught my eye and... What started off as as an innocent glance quickly turned into a craving that could not be satisfied. And I even circled back several times just to to, to catch another look at it at the right moment while my wife was looking away so I could could take it in again. And the odd thing was that at the moment I knew it was unhealthy, it wasn't for my best, and yet the desire was stronger than a desire really. The craving in me pulled me to it. And I don't think that I'm alone in something like this. I think many men have been captured by the image that I speak of. Matter of fact, put that image up. There's the image right there. I don't know what you thought I was talking about. There's something about, see, we gave you guys the cheap donuts. But there's, oh my gosh. It's like eating fat baby angels. Excuse me while I have a moment. One day in a staff meeting, I proposed that we actually have communion with Krispy Kreme donuts, and I I got shot down. We have cravings in us, some of them natural, some of them normal. Some of them, though, are unhealthy. You know what some of those cravings are and what some of those cravings look like. Some cravings deal with basic physical needs. And yet some cravings go so much deeper than the surface, even to the soul. These are cravings that are relentless in nature. They do not rest quietly. Instead, they they scream to be satisfied. At times, they even torment me. There are cravings in my soul that will not let me rest until they're satisfied and quenched some places within me. There's a soul crave. There's a soul crave inside of you. They go deeper than my flesh and beyond my understanding and beyond my mind's ability to even fully comprehend them. Beyond my heart, there seems to be a place where my deepest and most powerful cravings lie and you are no different than I. And is it possible that like the body 
suffers, withers, and dies without food and water? Is it possible that the soul begins to wither when it is deprived of that which it needs most, that which it craves? If I could interview your soul today, would it describe you as sadistic? If I could interview your soul today, would it tell me that you get some type of sick, dark pleasure in leaving it unsatisfied? It's not that I think that, that, that we intend to leave our soul in want. I think if we saw a man dying of thirst in the desert, we would give him water, we would carry him to water, we'd drag him to water if we knew where the well was. And I think that there are cravings inside of the human soul that go unsatisfied, not because we don't care, but because we don't know where to find the well to quench the cravings deep within the soul. Maybe they go unsatisfied because in each of us there is an appetite for something, but for what we don't even know. Here's what I'd like you to consider during our Crave series. Is it possible? It's almost as if a creator designed us with a factory defect that regardless of how far we've traveled or how much we've accomplished, there's always something that pulls us, that woos us, that that lures us into the future for something. It's, It's the craving within each of us, regardless of where you find yourself today, regardless of the memories of yesterday, and regardless of how tomorrow will unfold. We are all sojourners on a common quest to satisfy the cravings within our soul. Explore this with me. Is it possible? Is it possible that our soul cravings can be traced to three distinct areas of longing? Not by chance. But is it possible that the craving within your soul is actually the fingerprint of God on you in a way to cause you to search and to yearn and to look in hopes of eventually finding him? Is it possible that our three areas of craving, that we crave intimacy? Is it it possible that, that one of our soul craves is to be loved not for what we do, but loved for who we are? That we can be embraced and to be known and to know others and to and to love that there's a craving? Is it possible that we have a craving for meaning? To make sense of this life and to find out what is true and to do something of significance and, and answer the question, what is my purpose for being here? And today, the one that we look at, is it possible that we all have a craving for destiny? Could it be the fingerprint of God on you? We have a craving of, for destiny to, to know that something awaits us in the future, to know that we, our lives, are moving forward. The human, uh, uh, as humans, we don't do well without the belief that tomorrow can actually be better than today. That, that we can be something more than what we are currently at this moment. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes we have a calling, a destiny. We, we feel that we should be elevating into a different life, that tomorrow actually holds something amazing and something beautiful for, it, for us, but it's always, it seems like it's just always out of reach because of our choices and our decisions and our actions have actually trapped us in yesterday and keep us from getting to tomorrow. That because of our actions, the things we've done, we've placed ourselves in in a self-imposed prison of sorts, self-imposed 
slavery. And the tragedy of our imprisonment is that it reaches into the deepest caverns of our soul where those cravings lie and those cravings go unmet largely because we have imprisoned ourselves. But I believe even at our worst, even, hear me please, even in our darkest hour, even at our worst moment, there is something inside of us that craves to be something better, something noble, something extraordinary. That we are sure that, that we were meant for something more than what we are currently experiencing. In our soul, there is a sense of destiny. We all have it. It draws us, it calls us to something heroic, something honorable, something remarkable. We're all united in our desperate attempt to make a future for ourselves. Even at our worst, we still crave tomorrow. Maybe we're some of us, we don't even understand why we have the craving. And yet it doesn't keep us from looking. We are all part of an epic story that is being penned as we go. And our desire is to live a story that matters. The story of destiny. Even at our worst. I think even when we have been suffocated by our own mistakes, even while shackled in a self-imposed prison, there is a craving of destiny within us. There's a craving of freedom, that we can step into something tomorrow that we're not experiencing today, a destiny to be something noble, a destiny to be something honorable. Even at our worst, I believe it's the fingerprint of God that causes us to the yearn. There's something in us that says, I, I, was, I was meant for more than what I am living. If you read through scripture, you'll see something amazing. You'll see on several occasions where God changes the name of those he is interacting with. He gives a promise to someone named Abram to be a father of a nation. And what was odd is at the time, uh, Abram had no children and he was extremely old, like wrinkly old, like nothing was working old. And yet he said, you will be the father of a nation. And then he changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of nations. Abraham's wife was Sarai. When she heard that she would be a mother of a, of a great people, she laughed out loud. She was the original, LOL, laughed out loud. And yet God changed Sarai to her name Sarah, meaning mother of a multitude. Jacob has an encounter with God. And he was asked by God, what is your name? And God asked him, asked him, not because he didn't know his name, but he wanted Jacob to identify with his past, what tomorrow, the self-imposed prison that he was in yesterday. And so he asked Jacob, what is your name? And in a moment of honesty and transparency, Jacob just kind of comes clean and he says, do you want to know who I am? I'll tell you, I am who I was named. I am Jacob. I am a swindler, a thief, a schemer. It's what the name Jacob, it's I'm, I am a, a deceiver. I, I've always been grabbing for things that aren't mine. I am Jacob. I, I am who I have always been. I am what I have always been. And then we see something amazing in the character and the heart of God in that he does not hold Jacob's past against him. 
Instead, he changes his name from Jacob to Israel, one, one who has struggled with, with, with men and has struggled throughout his life and has even wrestled with God but has prevailed. And you see the, the compassion of God saying, your past will not identify you. I will change your identity to something greater. Jesus changed Simon, changed his name to Peter. He took a pebble and he made a rock. There's a remarkable exchange between God and a prophet, Jeremiah. And long before Jeremiah understood the plans and the potential of his life and stepping into his destiny, God, in a moment, unfolds his destiny before him. It was so big that Jeremiah could not get his mind around it, and yet God speaks to him and says, that which is waiting for you is not a surprise to me because I am the one that placed it there. And he went on to say that before you were born, before you drew your first breath, I already knew you and had your days planned for you. It's a craving for destiny. Psalm 139. It says, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none. Scripture makes it clear that no one is an accident. That from the beginning of beginnings, we, all of us, have been known by God. And we get a glimpse of God looking into his creation and seeing in us extraordinary capacity and heroic potential, empowered by his Holy Spirit. He calls it out of us. He stirs something in us. And like Jeremiah, might God be whispering to you today that I knew you before your first breath. Might he be saying to you, my fingerprints are all over you. And that which your soul craves deep inside of you is not by chance, but I placed it there. Many of us are told to come to Jesus to have eternal life, life after we die. And I think that's only part of the story. Because Jesus does not call us to life after death. He calls us to life now. And that is part of of, of what God comes to us and not not just wants to give us life later, but wants to give us life now. But regrettably, the reality of it is, is that some are here today and living is not the way you would describe your life today. Maybe your word would be existing. When you came in, you should have received a card. If you'll take that out, on one side it says existing, and on the other side it says living. If you had to choose one of these today, if no one else is around you, and if it's just between you and yourself and you and God, which would you say your life more greatly reflects? Living or existing? We're about to ask you to do something rather raw. And for some, it will be difficult. But you should know that one of the values, one of the hills we die on here at Reveal is that we do not come to judge the church and we are the church because mercy triumphs over judgment. With that in mind, I'm going to ask that you would take your card and being completely raw and completely honest, with that little sticker you got, I'm going to ask that you would place it on the chair in front of you with the word that best resembles your 
your life today pointing out to you? Go ahead. I know you're thinking, I don't want to do it, and I know you're embarrassed, and you're thinking, but what if somebody sees me? Just, just the difficulty is part of the process. I want you to experience something. And I want you to forget about the person next to you who, who might be seeing it, or if it's a spouse or a family member or whatever. If you're on the front row, just put it on your lap. But I want the word that best describes today facing you. I want you to look at it. And for some of you right now, it's, this is very difficult. Because the word staring back at some of us is cold and it's dark and it's impersonal. And there's an uncomfortable tension in you and you can feel it right now. And some of you didn't do it because the word that you had to place on the chair it was, it was too raw. It was too real. It, it hurt too much to have to f- look at a word that says existing. Now, could it be the reason that feeling is so strong? It's because regardless of where you find yourself today spiritually, you know intrinsically that you were created for more than existing. Is it possible that the reason why it's difficult and the reason why you're even a little embarrassed, maybe if if existing is what's pointing out to you, is it possible that the reason all of that is because somewhere inside of you, you know it's a craving in your soul that you were designed, created, that you're here for more than simply existing. Deeper than our instinct to live is our longing to be alive. Aliveness is different than existing. Existence is uh, the struggle to survive. Being alive is a thirst for life. You and I, we are an image bearer of God. And for our creator to look down upon us and say, existing, that is never what I intended. Over the next few moments, would you allow the word to look back at you, whichever it is? Would you be open to listening to the whisper of God and the stirring of God in your soul? Fickle my heart, how woozy my eyes. Struggle to find any truth in your lies And now my heart stumbles on things I don't know My weakness I feel I must finally show Lend me your hand, we'll conquer them all Lend me your heart, I'll just let you fall Lend me your eyes, I can change what you see. But your soul you must keep totally free. Heart, 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 heart. The
struggle to find any truth in your life. And now my heart stumbles on things I don't know. My weakness I fear must finally show. We will die where you invest your love, you invest your life in these bodies. We will live these bodies. We will die where you invest your love, you invest your life. carry with them such weight, life-changing weight. Awake, my soul. There are three words that take us back some 2,000 years. They're words that drop us at the foot of the cross. Jesus stretched out, bloody, beaten, and bruised. He speaks the words, it is finished. Awake, my soul, three words that bring us to the tomb, Jesus wrapped in grave clothes, put inside of the tomb, and the stone rolled in front. Three words that carry us through three agonizing days of waiting, asking the question, was I wrong to believe in him? If he was the awaited Messiah, how did creation kill its creator? Three words that lead us to a group of woman, women, embalming spices in hand, confused at the tomb. They saw the body go in, and now the body is missing. Three words drop us at the feet of two angelic beings who, who, who speak out, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Awake my soul. Three words that take us to the disciples that when they heard the reports that Jesus uh, was alive or that the tomb was empty, thought that it was just the women telling tales. 
three words that escort us to Peter, who when he heard the story, sprinted to the tomb, anticipation overflowing, what if it is true? Awake, my soul, three words that bring us to the disciples who, when they saw Jesus, thought that they were seeing a ghost. Three words that cart us to Thomas, who would not believe what he was seeing with his own eyes. Awake, my soul. Three words that lead us to an empty tomb on the outskirts of Jerusalem on an early Sunday morning nearly 2,000 years ago. And this is Resurrection Sunday. Everything that we believe as Christians, everything that we cling to and hope in is built into that empty tomb that Jesus conquered the grave, that death and the grave had no authority over him, that Jesus put on public display, shamed publicly, every spiritual power, every principality, and every wicked place. After three days in the grave, life is infused into his lungs. And this is the empty tomb. This is the resurrection. But hear me, please. What we often fail to realize, what we often fail to grasp, is that the resurrection started with Jesus, but now Jesus wants to impart a resurrection of sorts into us. And the resurrection is the key part of our faith, but, but really, what good is the resurrection if all we do is look back one time a year and say, yay, God? But is it possible that the resurrection was, yes, Jesus conquering, and yes, yes, Jesus overcoming, but is it possible that the life that was imparted to him is now the life that he wants to impart is that an element of why we are here today? Jesus said it like this. He said, look, some will come to steal life and some will come to rob and destroy you. But he said in John 10, 10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. He's not talking about existence or, or mundane drudgery or getting through one day just to get through the next day. He's talking about life that is an abundant destiny, that there's a purpose-driven, life-filled, moment-by-moment existence. It is His resurrecting power being imparted to us. What our soul craves can be put in the capsule of it craves life. It's what keeps us searching and looking no matter how far you've come or what you've been involved in or what your personal prison looks like. There's something in us that craves it. And I believe that God rejoices as we rejoice in Easter Sunday and the resurrection. But sometimes I wonder if God leans forward and says, the resurrection that you celebrate, the resurrection life that you celebrate is not just for Jesus, it is for you as well. See, Jesus does not call us to life after we die. He wants to impart life to us today. Paul says it like this in Romans. He says, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also, listen to this, give life to your mortal bodies. Sometimes we think so much of life after we die that we miss the life today, the present. And if you die before you breathe your last, you have missed the greatest gift that your Creator wants to offer you. And it really is why Jesus came in the first place, that our sin that separates us from God can finally be done away with and that we may absorb life. 
today we celebrate the resurrection and we say this with confidence, that the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Awake my soul. By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory, the resurrected king. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Would you stand? Would you be seated for a moment? As we close today, I remind you that for us to die before we breathe our last breath is a life that was never intended for you, for me. And that Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, is God providing a way to rule over sin and death and all that all that holds us and pins us down that he may be able to infuse life back into our souls. Over the next two more weeks now, we'll continue this journey. And I have a challenge for you. Here's what Easter looks like in churches across the U.S. Highest attendance of the week, of the year, and then the following week, the lowest attendance of the year. Because everybody thinks, well, I've already gone to church. I don't need to go back next week. The Crave series is by design. That's why we're continuing it next week. Same kind of format, same kind of feel. I hope you would commit to yourself, for yourself, to be here to see what God might be stirring in you, to see what God might have for you. Pray with me. Lord, I, I believe that there is life that you are waiting to impart to us, that you are waiting to remove our transgressions and our sins and all of our self-imposed prisons and all of our self-imposed slavery and all of the things that have kept us from stepping into a destiny that you would have for us and all of the ways that our uh, spiritual enemy has deceived us and captured us. And I believe that the cross and the resurrection is Jesus stepping into our existence and releasing us from those things. And my prayer is that all of us here, that we would begin to step forward into life today, not just eternal life after we die, but life today, abundant life that you speak of. Would that be our challenge this week? Would it be what we wrestle with? Would it be what we struggle with? Would we look at our own cravings within our soul and would they begin to draw us to you? This week, let us experience more of the love and the kindness of God. Let us experience the life, the resurrecting life of Jesus. As we continue on our journey to discover what it is that our soul craves. Today, we bless you. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection and for forgiveness of sin and for life being offered to all who will receive it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our wonderful Savior, and all the followers of Christ said, He is risen.
God bless you guys. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. Other than that, shake someone's hand. Say good day, happy Easter, and I hope to see you next week. God bless you guys.